MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with John Russell. John became aware of his psychic abilities around the age of six started giving psychic readings to friends and family at about 15, and by the age of 18, he was reading professionally. He eventually became internationally known, has more than 45 years' experience and expertise as a professional psychic with worldwide clientele, and as a paranormal investigator, has witnessed more than 800 supernatural manifestations. A couple of his books include A Knock in the Attic, Riding with Ghosts. His websites are linked up at coasttocoastam.com. And John, welcome back, my friend. How are you? George, it's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure being on the show. I'm always so happy to be here. And we have such great listeners, and uh, it's just a good time. Oh, we get great response all the time you're on. Even after you're off, it, we, the response just keeps coming in. You do a oh, great job. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. And I get so many nice emails and uh, get a lot of client readings from being on the air here, a lot of book sales. I really appreciate that support and really appreciate all the people tuning in and, and appreciate your kindness. Six years old when this started? Six years old when this started, absolutely. How did it happen? What happened to you? Did you get hit by a bolt of lightning or something? <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like getting hit by a bolt of lightning. I was uh, I was five when I was awakened to this, uh, this portal to the other side, this connection to the other side. I was uh, lying in bed, sound asleep, and I guess somewhere around 1, 2 in the morning it was pitch black, and I was all of a sudden totally, completely wide awake. No drowsiness, no grogginess. I knew I was awake, and I thought, well, maybe there was a noise outside, something that happened that woke me, and I listened, didn't hear anything. And I raised up on my elbows in my bed, looked around my bedroom, and uh, my bedroom door was open, opened into a hallway that went to the restroom where they, my parents had a nightlight in case I had to get up at night. Mm -hmm. the restroom. And from around the doorway in the hallway there, there was this elderly black gentleman staring at me, peering around the doorway. 
And I screamed bloody murder because being five years old, my presumption was an intruder was in the house. And when I screamed, he walked around the doorway, the end of the hall, started walking toward my bedroom, his eyes locked on mine. And I knew he was elderly because he had close-cropped white hair. He had a white mustache. And he was every bit as solid as you or I. Wow. And I can tell you how he was dressed. He had on a red plaid shirt. He had on khaki pants. He had a black belt, black shoes. And as he got closer to me, I screamed bloody murder again. My parents started to come running. And as they got close to my bedroom, he began to vanish. And my mother tried to hold me and console me, and they tried to tell me it was a nightmare, and I knew better. I knew I had seen someone solid in the flesh suddenly vanish in our home. And my father literally went and looked under all the beds in the closets, checked all the doors and windows, and of course, we were locked up tight and secure. So it dawned on me that I had seen my first ghost. And shortly after that, there was this epiphany that came to me, and I understood the reason that ghost came, and that was to open up the portal to the other side so that I would begin to have these physical, paranormal, supernatural experiences, and that eventually that was going to connect me to the other side in such a way that it would benefit my life and enable me to benefit other people's lives. And shortly after the paranormal experiences started, then I became aware that I had this psychic gift as an extension of that uh, of that happening. And the way that came about, I was out in the backyard playing with a toy. I was about six then, between five and six, I guess closer to six. And this car pulled into the driveway. There were people in there that I did not recognize. So I ran the house, got my mom and dad, and said, hey, somebody just pulled in the driveway. I don't know who this is. And I said, we'll come out and check. So they came out and said, oh, those are friends of ours. And they were people I had never met. I didn't know them. So uh, they were standing. The people got out of the car and came up on the sidewalk and were standing there talking to Mom and Dad before they all went inside, just making small talk. And uh, I just had this vision. And I went over and I got in the midst of this group of adults and I looked up at them and I said, you folks just went on vacation and you took that car that's sitting in the driveway and you had two kids with you. You don't have them today, but you had two kids you took with you on this vacation, and you stayed at this hotel that was so many stories and had these trees in front spaced at regular intervals that looked like this, and the pool area looked like this. And the woman's husband was kind of had this bemused look on his face, kind of looking back and forth to everybody like, well, what's going on? <laughs> and the woman looked at me bug-eyed with her jaw agape, I'll never forget. She was looking at me like I had cobras coming out of my ears, and she goes, how the hell could he possibly know that? And my mother was kind of, you know, well, you know, kids and their imaginations. And she goes, no, 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 kids and their imaginations, that doesn't account for this. How could he possibly know this? And all the adults were kind of looking at each other confused, and the lady said, we just went on vacation driving that car with our two kids and stayed at this hotel that looked exactly like John described, how the hell could he possibly know that? That's what we were coming to tell you was about this vacation that we, that we were just on. And my parents excused me and said, John, go play. And I said, yes, nice to meet you folks. And (laughs) I scared the life out of them because I never came to visit again. And that's when I discovered that I could see into people's lives. I could tell where they had been 
uh, I learned about their past, their inner thoughts, and then I learned I could predict their futures accurately and tell them what was coming for them. So that's when that all started at a very, very young age. Did anybody else in your family, John, have these abilities? They did, but not to the degree uh, that I did. There were people on my mother's side especially that always had an interest in the paranormal, and it had a lot of paranormal experiences, and some had a little bit of a psychic gift, but nothing as strong as mine, and, and the experiences were not as, as extensive as mine. And to, the, to date now, I've had well over a 1,000, and these are physical paranormal experiences. These are things other people witness. We capture them on film, video, audio. Uh, they actually occur on the physical realm. As a matter of fact, I've got a list of things I want to go through, and you can describe things that have happened to you in your life. But for those 12 years, from 6 to 18, before you went professional with this, right? did you constantly do this? Did you, did, did you get better as the years went by? Yeah, it was a, uh, you know, the experiences came fast and furious, and then everything connected for me, and then I began to learn that with this gift, uh, there was this desire I had to see how good I could get with it and how many people I could help with it. And I had this burning desire for the truth, George. I wanted to find out what worked, what didn't. And as a young kid, I was very observant, and I had already seen that within the church, within organized religion, and within the psychic realm, the paranormal realm, the spiritual realm, there were a lot of phonies, there were a lot of frauds, there were a lot of fakes. There were a lot of people that were like, you know, do as I say and not as I do. And um, that disturbed me. And it was like, how can you proclaim that you believe in this and then act so contrary-wise? Or how can you proclaim yourself to have a gift and then you really don't? You're just conning people and defrauding people and taking advantage of people. And so that's when I began paranormal investigations in earnest around the age of 12, and I read everything I could get my hands on. I studied everything I could in the realm of the paranormal, religion, parapsychology, psychology, uh, on and on, and tried to educate myself as much as possible so that I could say, okay, I've got these powerful gifts. I've got these powerful experiences. Where is this taking me? And how do I get there? And what do I do with it when I get there? And how can I be the best at this I can so that I can help as many people as I can? Do we all have the abilities that you have, John? We all have psychic abilities to a degree, but the analogy that I give is everybody can play piano to a degree, but some of us are going to study for years and barely be able to pound out chopsticks, and other people have this innate gift where they have the ability to make music and That's then they right. train that and practice that and develop that and go on to become concert artists, but not all of us are going to be concert artists. So it's the same way with psychic abilities. We all have that to a degree, but not everybody's going to become a practicing psychic. Uh, not everybody's going to reach a real high degree of attainment with that because we all have our different gifts, our different uh, niches, our different abilities. Did that entity that came to you when you were six ever come back? As far as I know, he has not. Uh, and I kind of miss him. <laughs> and he was kind of like mm -hmm. a... Uh, I guess someone that just came, look, I've, I've got the uh, luck of the draw to open up the portal for this kid here and activate this gift and get this going. And the feeling I get is that he might have kind of kept tabs on me from time to time from the other side, but I've never had a direct visitation from him again, though. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, 
the Apollo Jim murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go through some things that have happened to you, and you can explain to us uh, what they are, and of course... Right. Many people may have the same thing have happened to them, but what do you call by cloud busting? What's that? Uh, cloud busting is an old technique that goes back to when I was a teenager, maybe even younger. And it used to be very popular back then. A lot of people used to use it back then. You don't hear much about it nowadays. But what you do is you get out on a uh, calm, clear day. You want a, a clear blue sky with maybe just a few little small puffy clouds here and there. And you focus on one of the clouds, and from the third eye center in your forehead, you envision this laser beam going out from your third eye to this cloud. And when it hits that cloud, you envision that beam going, just dispersing throughout that cloud, 
and just making the cloud vanish, just dissipating the cloud. Ah. And you send this thought out, uh, thank you for receiving this energy, and thank you for dispersing, thank you for breaking up, thank you for vanishing. And if you do this with a real strong focus, you'll make that cloud disappear. And anybody can learn this, anybody can do this. And the reason this was originally taught uh, was to show people that we have spiritual power that we can use to affect the physical realm. And then the subsequent lessons from that were, okay, if we can break up this cloud, maybe we can break up diseases. Maybe we can send healing hmm. energy at a distance to people. Maybe we can influence people's thoughts for the better. And one example of that, uh, there was a, uh, a psychic that was on the TV show Psychic History that I saw one time, and she had correctly identified this person that had committed this murder and the police were on the lookout for him and she got together with her group and she said you know what she said we're just going to send this energy to this guy wherever he's at the other side knows where he's at and we're going to combine our energy and we're going to send it to this guy all night and the thought that we're sending is you've got to confess you've got to surrender you've got to come in and confess and give yourself up to the police. You have to do this. You're compelled to do this. And she said, we all sat up all night and sent that energy to this guy the entire night. And she said, I received a call from the police the next day. And they said, this guy just wandered in off the street and, wow. and said, I had to turn myself in. So the point of all this is not parlor tricks, but to say, okay, we can learn that we can exercise positive control over the physical realm and even over people, and uh, and use this in practical ways. Have you ever tried intention experiments like Limbic Taggart does to try to accomplish things? Oh, absolutely, and, and been successful in that. Um, also not been successful in that, and with that we have to understand that, look, we're dealing with powers and forces on the other side that can see a lot further down the road than we can, and maybe they know that if we got something we asked for, it might not be beneficial for us. And then I think that we also have to realize we are in this spiritual conflict, and there may be forces there that are trying to prohibit us from moving forward or achieving certain things or doing certain positive things. So you have to make allowances for your intentions and recognize, okay, it's kind of like going to your parents and saying, hey, I want to do this, and your parents go, no, you can't do that, and you may not understand why, and you may be upset, and you may really, really want to do that thing, but your parents know that it's not good for you, that it would be dangerous for you, or that you're just not capable at that stage. And I tell people, I say, look, the other side has these checks and balances in places, and it's kind of like firewalls you have to mm -hmm. get through in your spiritual development so that you don't just automatically get this huge, great power and run out and you're driving and somebody cuts you off and you go, well, you so-and-so, and you zap them with a death ray from your mind and kill them. <laughs> you know, that's no. the human nature. So I think that these firewalls are in place while we're learning this stuff so that we don't get off track with things. John, you believe all houses are haunted, don't you? Absolutely, I do. And the reason for that is, if people will read, there was an excellent book written by Gary Snyder, and it's called The Practice of the Wild. And he talks about, you know, we assume that because some place is desolate that no people ever lived there. And he talks about places on the planet that we assume no one was ever there. But if you go back in history, you can say, well, there was a trail through there, or there was a settlement there, or whatever. 
So not only have most of the places on this planet been inhabited by people who then died there, who may for whatever reason come back to visit that out of nostalgia or for whatever reason, so may quote-unquote haunt that, but also we have to realize there are all of these entities around us all the time in this invisible realm, nature spirits, guardian angels, other entities, other spirits, and they're constantly around us and they're constantly in places. So wherever you're at, you're dealing with spirits and entities of some type all the time. And so you can clear a lot, you can build a new house on there, as we did, and uh, it's going to be haunted. You're going to have manifestations there because this energy is constantly around us. And a person doesn't necessarily have had to have died there, right? Oh, no, not at all. Um, they, they don't have to have died there. It could be other spirits coming in, various other entities. It could be uh, people that are wandering by, wandering through for whatever reason, say, hey, I, I think I'll check these people out a little bit and let them know that I'm here. So it, it doesn't have to be someone that's died there, no. But, uh, you have a crying tree at your house. What is that? Oh, this this poor tree, bless its heart. It's, it's deceased now. But uh, when we moved to this new home, there was this tree outside, and people say, Peridoria. Well, I'd, I'd get really disgusted when people say that, because if you have any experience at all, you know the difference between something that looks like something like, oh, that cloud looks like a turtle, and some actual supernatural manifestation. And when we moved into this, uh, to our new home, when we moved from our previous house here, there was a tree in the backyard that, that I look at out my office window, and it was absolutely alive, and it had two evenly spaced eyes. It had nostrils, and it had a mouth. And from the eyes, and the tree was in a diseased state by the time we got here, and was, it was already half dead. And from the eyes on the tree, these tears streamed down and stained the trunk. And when you were outside, if people wanted to say pareidolia, well, let me tell you this. When I would go outside, when I would sit in my office and look out my office window at the tree, the eyes stared straight in at me. When I went outside and sit outside in my chair off to the side of the tree, the eyes in the tree would move to look at me where I was sitting in the chair. No exaggeration, honest to God, truth. And so this, this tree had the spirit in it, as all trees do. And uh, I honored it to the best of my ability and told it I would try and save it. The disease was too far gone, and the tree completely died. And as it did, uh, the spirit left the tree, and that image, that face on there, actually began to fade and not be as sharp and not be as distinct as it was previously. I left the crying tree, and it was unhappy because it was diseased, and, uh, and it was sad because it was going, because it was dying. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.